Hello. Hey. So you've already laughed at me for this rig. (laughs) (laughs) It's listeners. It's definitely improvised. I have an explanation. All right. Explain away. One, we're trying to buy a house, so we're trying to save money. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to buy a hundred dollar boom arm or whatever it's called. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The other one is I, I have a new show to tell you about that we've been watching. Okay. It's called, first off, is a History Channel original TV show. All right. <laughs> yeah, not a great start. It's called Alone. Alone. What, what is the premise? The premise is they take 10 people and they go out to the Pacific Northwest. So they go to Vancouver and they go to like the super deserted area and they drop them off and they are their own camera crew. They have cameras with them. They have to film themselves. So there's no crew. And everyone's by themselves. Everyone's like 10 miles away from each other. Are they in the woods or like in the city? They're in the woods. They're in like a jungle. Because it's basically, I mean, it's a temperate rainforest up there. Oh, okay. Yeah, they have, you can pick 10 pieces of equipment from an approved list and then like some extra clothes also from an approved list. And that's it. (laughs) And you have some emergency supplies they give you. They give you like a first aid kit and obviously the camera equipment and like a flare and... Air horns in case of bears. I like this. It's like a solo D&D adventure. You got starting equipment. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 10 gold. (laughs) Rations. Yeah. And then they just, they set them out literally all by themselves. And they have a, like a GPS thing they can hit for when they want to give up. And then someone comes and takes them. Yeah. And the last guy standing, the last guy on the island or whatever gets half a million dollars. Wow. Okay. And here's the thing. Here's the kicker. I mean, there's no human contact. They are by themselves. Right. And they don't know when people drop out. So they just like have no idea how long they left. Like we watched the first season and this guy was like, I honestly don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. Like it could be a year. It could be a few more months. I have no idea. And he was the last. He was like next to last. We're like, no, buddy, just a few more days. Wait, but so to win, I guess they show up and tell you you won, right? They show up and tell you you won at the very end. I did laugh about that. Like, what if they just... Yeah, they just left you there for a couple more months. Saw how long you'd go. The Another great thing is... <laughs> not great at all. The first season was all white dudes, and I came in, like, in episode three, and so I could not remember anybody. I'm like... Oh. I, I was... I felt gaslit. I was like, who is this man? I've never seen him before. This is like, Chad, you know. Dude, yeah. It was, like, Brant and... Brian and <laughs> just yeah. all interchangeable. And Kyle was like, what if they change the names like just to mess with you every episode? I'm like, they could do it. I would have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Second season they got they got like a black guy. They have two women, um, or three women. Yeah. So they they got a few more people. Yeah. But anyway, that's why I rigged up this ridiculous thing with string. I, I felt very MacGyver today. <laughs> I learned you can do a lot with, with just rope and wood. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is not rope and wood, listeners. This is some string that I'm pretty sure I got for my wedding for like decorations and shit. And one of those video rigs, like the, go- there, it's called a gooseneck rig for filming with your phone. And I just strapped my microphone to it and here we are. <laughs> Hopefully it works. If it doesn't, if it like falls out in the middle, <laughs> we'll have to stitch everything together. <laughs> that would suck. Um, it feels pretty secure. I, I wiggled it about. So good job uh, rigging that up. <laughs> Thank you. I feel both like a radio DJ and like a backup singer. So it's pretty great. That's cool. All right. Uh, you want to get started? Yeah. Teach me things. All right. What do you want to be taught today? 
teach me about the USSR. The USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, specifically. Yeah, I always forget what that stands for. <laughs> All right, Soviet Union. What in particular... There's a, there's a ton to learn about the Soviet Union. So what, <laughs> Just all of it. what in particular are we focusing on today? Um, I want to know what myths are true because in the States, especially we are fed a lot of, let's say bad publicity <laughs> about the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, you know, when the healthcare debate was going on, it's like, well, do you want to, you know, stand in lines and have death panels and all this stuff that they, they claim that socialism is. There's also the classic, like, oh, you'd have to wait in line for toilet paper or, you know, bread lines mm -hmm. and empty grocery store shelves. And I just want to know, like, is that for real? How bad was it? Yeah. Let's take a look at the separating the fact from the fiction, maybe. Because mm -hmm. you're right. We get a ton of anti-communist propaganda. I mean, that's what it is, you know? Yeah. Let's take a look at that. I do want to kind of go over a, a few things before we really dive into the meat of it. Okay. Number one. You were saying in an earlier episode that one of your maxims these days is that two things can be right at the same time. Uh-huh. The thing I tweet every day, basically. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, we got to keep this in mind when we go through. If we debunk a negative myth about the Soviet Union here, we are not saying that Stalin was the best guy ever or that communism <laughs> has never you know, done anything wrong or is completely flawless and will always be perfect, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's an important caveat to make. Yeah. And if conversely, if we look at what we think is a myth and say, that's mostly true, <laughs> or at least it brings to light a valid criticism, uh, we're not saying that communism uh, has failed and will always fail and is bad and, ca and capitalism is therefore cool. You know, like that's two things can be right at the same time. We can level some criticism and say, hey, you know, when we do when we want to do socialism and communism, we don't want to do these things. I think that's kind of a fair way to look at it. I feel like it. a lot of growing up has been learning about nuance and gray areas. Yeah. Also, a lot of therapy is that, too, where I'm just like, I'm the worst. I just I can't. And my therapist is like, okay, what, what if you're not, though? Like, what if we take the middle ground? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Not black and white. Exactly. Another thing I wanted to talk about briefly is kind of the periods we'll be talking about. Mm -hmm. How long was it around, this this Soviet Union thing? So the Soviet Union was around from 1917 until 1991. It started out just as the Russian Soviet Republic. That was just the country of Russia itself. And near the end of the Russian Civil War in 1922, uh, the Russians sign a treaty with three other countries to create the Soviet Union, which lasts until 1991. It's a long time. Yeah. Um, I was alive for one year of it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I, I existed during the time of the Soviet Union. Oh, it was your fault. It went away. Yep. They, t you know, one year later, they're like, no. We can't do this. Uh, and the periods we're talking about, okay, we're mostly going to be focusing on the time period after the Russian Civil War. So the time periods are like the Russian Civil Wars from 1917 to 1923. And that's a crazy time period when they're in a war in their own country killing each yeah. other it's kind of hard there aren't many historical <laughs> records about a lot of the shit you can't like really put together a coherent um picture of it it's a really exceptional period you really can't draw too many conclusions based on that it's not a control group 
kind of thing. You know, like that's not a good place to take measurements of how people are doing. <laughs> yeah, it's an outlier for sure. That's yeah. a good way to put it. So some other important periods are the time period when Stalin was in power. Uh, that's from 1927-ish, we say, because Lenin died in like 1924, but there's a period where like they're trying to figure out who's really in charge. Mm. Um, so 1927 to 1953, when he dies. Okay. Within that, that contains the World War II period, which is for them 1941 to 1945, um, which will be another kind of outlier for us. Yeah. The Khrushchev era, this is the rule of Nikita Khrushchev, Mm-hmm. which is from 1953 to 1964. So from the Khrushchev era, you go to the Brezhnev era. Brezhnev. Yeah, which is the rule of Leonid Brezhnev from 1964 to 1982. And then we just kind of lump the rest of it in the final years, <laughs> which is 1982 to 1991. You have okay. like, I think there's a guy named Yuri Andropov for a little bit. There's a guy named Konstantin Chernenko for like a year. And then it's the final guy, Mikhail Gorbachev. Okay. ruins the whole thing. So, Way to go. I, it's not like singularly his fault or anything, but... I'm going to say it's all his fault. He's there when it all falls down, so... Damn. <laughs> anyway, this is just to give you some context. We're not going to, like, hammer you with dates and, and stuff like that. That's not our style. Yeah, sometimes we'll refer to different time periods, because just like American history or anybody's history, you know... What was life like in the Soviet Union is going to be way different in different time periods. Our lives are different than Americans' lives were in like the 1950s. So <laughs> another thing on the on the periodization thing is that there is going to be a general pattern that we will see okay. throughout, and we'll kind of refer back to it, is that generally things are very chaotic and bloody, but revolutionary in that Civil War period. So like while lots of people are dying and everything, they are kind of at their most radical phase in a lot of things like they're trying to do as many progressive things as possible in that time okay that makes sense then stalin comes in and makes things generally worse and generally stricter <laughs> overall okay all right cool khrushchev famously kind of loosens things up in a thing called the khrushchev thaw all right he's okay. just trying to like kind of let people do more things mostly and then the Brezhnev era, it gets a little more strict, but not as bad as Stalin. Okay. And then finally, Gorbachev is like, no rules. It's cool. Fuck do it. whatever you want. And then it <laughs> collapses. You know, that's the overall pattern. I do okay. want to also one thing note that the Soviet Union throughout its existence was pretty much doing all of the things that it did in about the worst conditions that you could possibly imagine for a country to be having to operate. Okay. It was going from a semi-feudal society under the czar and we'll see repeatedly examples of how bad that was mm -hmm. you know in instead of from a fully developed capitalist state or something it was trying to go from that to a radical transition to socialism very difficult yeah it was also almost completely alone on the international stage it pretty much always was a mortal enemy of the most powerful countries on earth while it was around yeah that sucks yeah i mean this is a spoiler for an, a future episode. We're going to cover open veins of Latin America. Mm -hmm. And so I started reading it and that is a recurring theme of like, man, these guys were super, super, super fucked over by colonialism. And then they tried socialism and that's why it's so fucking hard because they're starting from not ground zero, ground negative. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's again, not to excuse anything or say that, you know, Stalin is a cool dude or anything like that. <laughs> He's like the best. Just to kind of put it into some context. Yeah, yeah. We also are not experts. So this is <laughs> based on our research. Because while I do 
kind of know enough to know what to research. I didn't feel comfortable just doing it off the top of my head without. Yeah. I mean, my dumbass wanted to record like four days earlier. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, how are we going to be? Yeah. Go Wikipedia, look at some stuff. <laughs> Which I did a lot of, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. All right. With that out of the way, you want to jump in? I do. All right. What's your, what is a common myth that you've heard about the Soviet Union that you want to I discuss? I mean, let's start with that toilet paper myth. All right. <laughs> Did they have it? Uh, so the toilet paper myth basically is that there was no, or like you had to wait in line forever. Or yes. it, it was like our stores with the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very scarce. I thought this was definitely a myth too. That, but there were actually, in fact, regularly lines at the grocery stores. Dang. Uh, and there were, in fact, usually... Uh, limited supplies of things. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that was apparently a thing. I thought that that would be kind of just... Over-exaggerated. Yeah, anti-communist propaganda. But, okay, you were saying that a lot of uh, struggles come from being alone in the world stage. Yeah. So that would affect trade. So, like, unless you can manufacture everything, which, like, as we just talked about, they are, like, struggling to come from a feudal system, then you have to trade with people. And if you're not friends with people, that's hard. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Did I just crack the case? Uh, basically, because uh, <laughs> I mean, they do constantly struggle to produce enough consumer goods uh, for people to have to have what they want. People always were able to eat enough outside of famine times. Um, people were, you know, able to get food that they needed during normal periods. They didn't always get what they wanted. You know, supplies would sometimes be short. Uh, and the supply chain, especially, like their logistical system throughout the mm -hmm. whole country, was fucked, especially if you were the further away you were from urban centers. Yeah. Uh, so they might not have, like, what you wanted uh, available. But you're right. They were trying to rapidly industrialize, starting from, like, an almost medieval society in terms of their production. Yeah. So it was very hard for them to do so. And they, you know, didn't have a lot of help. They had the opposite of help. Yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, I don't want to blow it out of proportion, though, because if you go to YouTube, you're going to see a lot of videos from the very late, uh, eight, like 1989 to 1991. Okay. The very final years of that country's existence. Um, and you'll see the videos of people waiting in really long lines going into grocery stores with completely bare shelves. Mm-hmm. And that is actually just anti-communist propaganda to try to say that that was what it was like all the time. <laughs> the whole time, yeah. Because at the very end, of course shit's going down. Yeah, I managed to find some sources from people who grew up, they grew up kind of earlier than that time period. And those, that's kind of a more accurate representation of what it would have been like. And they still describe that things were, you know, that it was difficult to get necessarily what you wanted, but that. For instance, bread. You could always get bread. Bread was subsidized. Yeah. It was super cheap. Um, you could always get certain staples like that. You could always get like cheap fish, depending on your region, cheap kind of local fish there. Like, you know, you could get stuff to feed, you know, your family. But it is kind of basically true that stores were a lot less convenient than they are here. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. Maybe this is wishy-washy. I think there could be a middle ground. We don't need a million brands of toilet paper, despite my affinity for the Cottonelle dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> if there was just Charmin, I would be fine. And it wastes a lot of money and effort to have all these brands competing. Yeah, I think there is a middle ground of providing more for people. And we're kind of in a better place to 
in a better place to carry that out. We have an industrial base. We have <laughs> logistics. We have, you know, supply chains and stuff that could easily be adjusted. Yeah. That we wouldn't run into those problems if we were to do socialism here. So another thing like I noticed during, you know, the onset of Corona panic here. Mm hmm. When there there were there were limits on what you could buy, like yes. there were little signs by the pasta, like only take one, and things same thing with toilet paper. I'm like, I didn't mind doing that. Like, I would be annoyed if I had to wait in line for it all day or something. But like, the idea of not hoarding is like super fine with me. Yeah, I, th I agree with you. I think that there could be limits to make sure there's enough supplies for everybody. I mean, we did it when we had to. I mean, people complained kind of, but they weren't out there protesting in the streets or something. Yeah, I, I think for. For Americans, myself included, it was more just kind of being freaked out. Like, like I've never seen anything like this before. It was like, scary. definitely, Yeah, going in and seeing those empty shelves is like, I don't know what to do with this. Which is silly because, like, food waste is such a huge problem in this country. Like, we throw out so much food and we can't donate it because, like, you can be liable if it goes bad or something. So a lot of it just gets thrown out. Yeah, that's stupid. But yes. It's so that's, stupid. That is, that is true. I have a question. Yeah. So would you say in general, do you think it was worse being more rural? Because I, I feel like if their supply chain was bad, it was probably really hard to get basics out to far flung areas. Yeah, obviously, there's some matter of taste. But I think that if you're, if you're looking objectively at, at standards of living. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it would be it would be lower in, in a rural area. You would not have access to as diverse of a uh, food supplies. Uh, you'd still get to eat. I mean, you know, still be basically taken care of. But you also are looking at lower access to medical facilities, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, in general, yeah, it would have been worse. Okay, cool. That was my question. Um, I think that both city dwellers and rural people would have had their lives vastly improved from Zara's times, but it still yeah. would have been when he compared those two with each other. Yeah. I mean, one sounds like just more convenient. Yes. But I mean, maybe you're really into cows and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Usually not. Uh, one thing about the Soviet Union that's kind of a dark side is internal travel was kind of restricted. Like you had to get Ooh. passports and st an internal passport. What? Like, yeah, to travel between regions and stuff. That's crazy. Well, yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Why did they do that? So basically the internal passport system, it was inherited from the czarist times okay but they kept it and they used it you know it initially had been like let's make sure the serfs stay where they're supposed to you know and <laughs> anybody great. who's in like the city needs you know a passport to show that they should be there instead of just hanging out uh or running away from being a serf uh but they kept that kind of for the same reasons if they had somebody uh that they had deported to a collective farm or something they didn't want the these people returning to to cities and stuff so shit also deporting to collective farms sounds pretty bad too yeah they did you know they did that this was that was during <laughs> bad stalin's time to be fair okay but okay a lot of times when we come to really bad portions we're gonna be like <laughs> stalin did it mostly stalin he's he's bad but we're gonna get to some bad stuff that happens you know after him too so i'm picturing like a little seal with like stalin in the middle like a little cartoon stalin he's just like "Ooh, it's me <laughs> <laughs> Stalin did it. Okay, yeah. So there we go. What's the next myth you want to tackle? This is kind of related, but like, do people starve? How bad were their standards of living? You know. Uh, how were people's standards of living? We'll co cover that first. It was vastly improved from the days of the czar. Yeah. I mean, not like on day one, obviously. But <laughs> nope. Once they got their footing. Yeah, not on day one. It was way less affluent than the United States or the, you know, the West. 
basic needs were taken care of and with a with an impressive uh, degree of equality between different quote unquote classes of people okay uh, this is however outside of the terrible times like World War II or <laughs> the Soviet famine of the 1930s okay so when you say this is kind of stupid when you say they are taken care of and provided for so let's just be clear like this is not communism it is socialism so correct. How would that work? Did they get like stipends for food or was just like everyone come pick up your food today or how? How does money work? Um, So people still, since it was still socialism, uh, people still worked for money in this sense. It was very much the first stage of socialism, you know, Mm -hmm. and instead of like anything complicated like labor vouchers or anything like that, they were just paid in money. And you would, you know, and then you would use that money to go buy food and stuff at the, you know, anything you needed at the stores, which were usually uh, heavily subsidized to make sure that everybody could afford what they needed. All right. Another stupid question. I only vaguely know what subsidized means. Isn't that when, like, the government pays you to grow certain things? In a subsidy to farmers, that would be what it would be. They would kind of pay you for, you know, they want you to grow corn, so they'll pay you per bushel of corn and that's why like meat and dairy in the u.s is so cheap by the way (laughs) yeah and so with bread it would be like you know they would subsidize the bread producers or the stores or whatever and so the price of bread for the consumer at the end would be real cheap okay as far as other basic needs a lot of things were socially provided you know health care child care uh things like that housing so you weren't paying for as many things with the money that you made yeah so really Really, all you're paying for is, like, clothes and food and, like, extra stuff? Yeah, I didn't dive too much into, like, rent, for example. I don't know if they just said, this is your house, stay in this house, you know, yeah. or apartment. Um, or if they just said, we're subsidizing all the rent to where it's, like, a dollar, you know, or something like that. Yeah. I know that childcare was really heavily subsidized. It wasn't just, like... It wasn't free. For free, but it, we'll oh, get okay. into that later. It's real cheap. I mean, even that would be great. Jesus. So, yeah, we'll talk about that later, but... Yeah, so people had their basic needs provided for. Okay, through subsidies and making it cheap. Yeah. Okay. And some social provisions of things that were just flat out free. I'm raising my hand like a student. Yes, (laughs) question. Question in the front. So they were socialists. Were all their workplaces worker run? A lot of times they were state run. Oh, state run. Yeah, most of the time they were state run. So I'm a lawyer. I'm Soviet lawyer. Okay. I have a law office. How does it work? Uh... (laughs) Okay, so like if you were a lawyer in the Soviet Union, you'd be an employee of the state. Oh. All lawyers were members of legal collectives, which were established by the government and administered by government agencies. So you'd be a state employee. Interesting. So basically everyone's a public defender or a public accuser. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Huh, that's kind of cool. Okay. Riddle me this. Yeah. Riddle me this. What if I'm a bookstore owner? Uh, what if I own a business? Do I? Can you own a business? No, you'd be like a bookstore operator. Okay. You'd operate a bookstore, probably a, a government bookstore or a local collective bookstore or something like that. Okay. I'm just trying to get a, a grasp on, on how money works and employment works there. But going back to the, the standards of living question, I want to transition a little bit into uh, the other part of your question about, hey, you know, did people starve? Yeah. In the Soviet Union. A lot of times people say... Communism, haha, no food. That's their joke, you know? <laughs> That's not a good joke. No, but um, the right wing doesn't have a lot of jokes. They have that joke and the joke about gender genders, and that's about it. That's really it, huh? Uh, so did people starve? Usually not. Some caveats. In times of crisis, though, 
Uh, sometimes they did. The Russian Civil War had a major famine during it, and there was also the Ukrainian famine later on in the 30s that are some examples of this. During the Civil War, there was a massive famine, 1921 to 22. Five million people died. Oof. Estimates differ a little bit, but there was a massive drought. The nation was in the middle of a terrible civil war. Oof. And interestingly enough, international aid poured in. Okay, that's good. Notably from the United States, actually. Hey. Uh, they kind of helped more than any other country. It's weird of us. Yeah, uh, they ended up feeding <laughs> more it. than 10 million people daily for their, you know, in their whole assistance program. It was impressive. Weirdly I was like, nice. whoa, okay, cool. Good job. Yeah. So that was that was bad, mainly from a famine and from just the devastation of, of war. That'll happen. Yeah, bad times. The other one that we mentioned, the Ukrainian famine of 1932 to 1933. This is also uh, a lot of times referred to as the Holodomor. Okay. And this is often presented in the Western in Western historiography or in just anti-communist propaganda as Stalin intentionally killing millions of people. Now, did he do that? Uh, we don't know. Okay. Is the best way to put it. Cause you, we don't have his diary. You kind of have to tiptoe through it because, you know, uh, how can you figure it out, right? He didn't write, Dear Diary, I love killing people. Today I killed this many. Yeah. Hard uh, sign. Yeah. He has a chart up in his bedroom where he like, <laughs> killed this many, this many you know. Historians disagree on a number of issues, starting with the numbers. They vary widely in terms of how many people die. Give, give me the lowest estimate. The lowest is going to be uh, around 3 million people. I mean, still bad. Yeah, that's a lot of people dead. It's not like it was like 300. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, oh, okay. Uh, and like I said, they c estimates can go wildly up to like 20 million. Okay, that's way more. <laughs> which is generally considered not to be is considered yeah. to be inflated. Even 10 million is considered to be con inflated. I was trying to weigh the weigh the sources. Mm -hmm. Most estimates end up more around three and a half million. Okay, what's crazy to me is like, okay, what year was this? 19? 1932, 1933. Okay, we should be able to have records of people dying. Like, that seems pretty easy. <laughs> like, who's alive, who's not alive? Well, yeah, um... <laughs> you think you could get a straight answer on that? Who knows? Um, I mean, I guess they're busy. Dying. Dying. And trying to prevent people from dying, too. So the uh, that's the other point of contention is intentionality. Mm -hmm. Like we said, did Stalin write in his diary, I got to kill a bunch <laughs> of Ukrainians today. It was great. What is clear here is that there's a, there was a massive famine. Okay. And this is not the conclusion of all historians, but I think that there would have been some sort of a famine regardless of the political leadership, whoever was in charge. Just like environmentally? Yeah, there was a there was a, a drought and some sort of a disease that spread, like a rust disease or something that spread on the crops, caused a massive crop failure. Some sources say that like there still would have been enough food to feed them, whatever. I don't think so based on just the numbers that I saw. And again, if they don't have a good supply chain, then like how the fuck are they going to get food everywhere? Yeah. And another thing is that the state did try to help Ukraine. They did try to send aid to them and try to help them out. That's not something you do when you're intentionally trying to make sure that this <laughs> part of your country dies. Also, it's part of your country so that even if you don't really like, you know, some of the groups that live there, which is an unfortunate fact, is that Soviet leadership really didn't like some of the people that were there. The kulaks, they called them, uh, which was like the, the small landowners or like the, the wealthy peasants. Yeah, I remember this. Um, a lot of them were in the Ukrainian region there. 
Okay. But on the other hand, a lot of like your party leadership was from Ukraine and they wouldn't take kindly to you like killing off their... Oh yeah, that'd be weird. It seems like they tried to help and that mostly this is a product of drought and plant rust in terms of natural causes, but it was also partially man-made or at least exacerbated by, for example, uh, poorly carrying out collectivization where they were moving uh, from small privately owned you know exploitative inefficient farms yeah. to massive government or collectively owned farms that process didn't go so well at first and it was also partially because of uh, the resistance to that by the kulaks oh uh, who slaughtered livestock oh that's not good rather than let them be collectivized oh i don't like that yeah not good at all but there it is well, I have a positive myth I'd like to ask about. All right. My man, Bernie Sanders. Well, he's my ex-man now, but I still love him. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's talked about in the past how childcare in Russia was, like, really good and, like, provided a great way for particularly women to start working outside the home because they actually had someone to watch their, their wee babs. Is this true? Yes. Cool. Tell me more about it. <laughs> it is true. Um, child care in the Soviet Union was socialized and was incredibly subsidized, like we say before. So it was real cheap. Let me give you an example. God, I love that. <laughs> an article in what I would consider the stridently anti-communist New York Times. Yep. That's in 1974. Correct. All right. I dug this up from the archives. 1974, they reported a mother in uh, from Kiev uh, paying in 2020 dollars. $72.48 a month for childcare. Now, this was six days a week for her three-year-old oh son, covering from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Jesus Christ. With three meals a day and a snack. Okay. For reference, listeners without kids. I don't have kids, but I have friends who have kids. Mm -hmm. Someone told me that their childcare costs as much as their mortgage. Wow. Which, that is a lot. Yeah, yeah. And and then that worked out to be about as much as I pay in rent. Yeah. Because they told me the number, and I was like, well, I guess my, my womb is closed for business, because <laughs> yeah. I can't afford that. I, uh, so I looked it up, uh, according to one source, the average cost for Americans in 2020 is $847 a month. Motherfucker. But in San it can be as high as, uh, they said in San Francisco, it can be as high as like twenty. Two thousand four hundred fifty dollars yeah. a month. Yeah, this one was around like thirteen hundred, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, and and I converted the the inflation calculator thing for the earlier thing. It was seventy two dollars and forty eight cents insane. a month. Insane. And for how like six days a week, you know, <laughs> six days all a day. Week, yeah, because yeah, now now it's like you know half day or whatever. Like it's basically like eight to four or something, or eight to noon. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of those kinds of programs out there. Oh, it was great though. So the same article they interview an, uh, a a uh, another mother. Zoya Idenko, and she said, I went back to work three months after my son was born. I could have waited a year legally and still kept my job, but it was difficult for me to bring up the baby, and I wanted to get out of the home. Can you imagine having your job just on hold for a year? Yeah. Like a year of maternity leave? Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was a major provision for people that was, you know, guaranteed and saw as part of the social cohesion was that, and, it's, and this originated out of the revolution's kind of early radical social equality and, and gender equality feminism mm -hmm. of its early days, which was rolled back somewhat under Stalin. Yeah, I was going to ask. But was uh, 
the child care provisions in any way never really was rolled back because even when Stalin got his patriarchal ass in there and was like, no, women should be raising the next generation of Soviets or whatever. Oh, good. When World War II rolled around and he needed women to go produce in <laughs> the like, factories okay, okay. because all the men were getting killed by the Nazis, then, yeah, he was like, okay, well, we still need childcare to, to okay, raise sorry. all My these bad. kids and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's not something that really went away. Oh, man, that sounds so dank. Like, sir, like I know amazing fucking people who are literally calculating whether or not they can afford to have children, and it makes mm-hmm. me so sad. Yeah, I... I think that's really shitty. Like, I think people should be able to choose to have children or not based on, you know, things other than can they afford it? It's like with college and stuff, you know, you should, you shouldn't have to go to college, but you should be able to make that decision based on whether you can do it, whether you want to do it or not, rather than your, your economic status. Yeah, for sure. So kind of in that vein, though, is uh, with childcare was overall like women's equality, women's rights and things. Yeah. How did the ladies do back then? Like we said, that it kind of follows that general trend, right? Mm-hmm. The Soviet Union was coming out of czarist Russia, which was intensely and purposefully patriarchal. Yeah. Very bad for women. Super sexist. And they did a lot of really good things early on in changing that. Our comrade Lenin was really good about this in his personal views um, and even criticized some of his other party members who really weren't quite on board. He said, hell yeah. Unfortunately, we may still say of many of our comrades, scratch the communist and a Philistine appears for their mentality regarding women is that of the slave owners. Ooh. So he, you know, he's kind of calling out some people for their bullshit. All right. I, I like a male ally. But like, think about it. So when we discussed the Russian Revolution, uh, we said that on International Women's Day. Oh, yeah. March 8th or February 23rd in their calendar, right? <laughs> uh, women showed up in a big strike in Petrograd and that kicked off the February Re- Revolution. So like the Soviet Union was basically born of women. You know, it started with their uprising. Fuck yeah. In 1917. Russia was the uh, became the first major world power to grant women the right to vote. Wow. Yeah. They were be- so it says major world power, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> they were beat by Norway. Norway beat them in 1913 becoming the first country to do so. Damn Norway. Okay. And I have a quiz question for you that you definitely will not get, but I still want to <laughs> ask you. Yeah, sure why not. You might get it. If you get it, very impressed. What was the first territory or province? So not like a nation, right? Mm -hmm. But like a part of a nation to grant women the right to vote. I actually know this, but I can't remember. I I remember learning this and being like, what the fuck? Yeah, it was in 1869. Yeah, it was it was some weird ass state. Who was it? Tell me. It's going to make me so mad because I remember reading it like recently and I was like, excuse me. Wyoming territory. Wyoming. Why? Bastion of women's rights, Wyoming. Oh, yeah. They love women in Wyoming. That's why it starts with a W. They were a territory, right? And you need a certain mm-hmm. number of, like, to become a state, you know? Oh, they're just using it to boost their numbers? <laughs> but also to, to bring more women into the out there. Hey, we've got women's rights, you know? Oh, for birthing. Uh, yeah, and to produce more population and all that. So. Mm. so that's really quite random. That is. But Russia, the first major world power to grant women the right to vote, 1917, day one, you know, they also established what was called the, what was called something in Russian that I'm going to say terribly. You know, <laughs> Let's but hear the, it. Genotdel. Okay. Uh, it was the women's department. 
of the Communist Party. It was headed by Alexandra Kolontai and Inessa Armand, Okay. the latter of whom was alleged to have been Lenin's lover. Ooh. Yeah, spicy. So they, they established his women's department in 1918. They replaced church marriage with civil marriage. They established a no-fault divorce law. Oh, hell yeah. And also divorce by postcard. <laughs> oh, this is like, like a breakup by text. Um, it sounds kind of funny, but it's actually seriously really good um, because it sounds funny like, haha, yeah, just like you get a postcard in the mail. Oh, damn, I'm divorced. But it's really good considering like abuse and stuff. If exactly, you, you know, yeah. You could get away and do that. Uh, and domestic violence that so i reference this book a lot but the history of marriage book i read was Mm -hmm. also talking about no-fault divorce and how that is like such a huge game changer for women's rights in general like getting away from abusive situations and just being you know free of assholes basically they also uh they they recognize women as equal under the law uh whereas before i mean considering before the revolution they weren't allowed uh to earn a wage to seek education or to exchange property without their husband's consent. Like they had to get permission to do any of that. So this, you know, radical change from that. Yeah. Both parties consent was now required for marriages and they also outlawed marital rape. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. dude, That took a long time in the States. So like, good job. Yeah. This, you know, in these, in these early days, they were really going at it. Uh, the yeah. Jeanette Dell, the women's department of the communist party, mm-hmm. uh, they opened up pubs and laundries and nurseries, and they organized drives to recruit women into workplaces on an equal playing field with men. They organized unemployed women. They set up cooperatives with childcare facilities and medical consultations and cultural activities organized around those. So they were like doing all these like community things uh, for women. That's so cool. Ugh, send me a link to this Wikipedia page. I want to learn all about this. We're yeah, doing a whole yeah. episode on these ladies. <laughs> oh, we should. Yeah, <laughs> we should for sure. The Soviet Union legalized abortion in 1920. Nice. Uh, it was abortion on demand. And it was basically the preferred for a while. There it was the preferred method of birth control in the Soviet Union. That's not so nice, but OK. Stalin, for his part, restricted abortion rights in 1936. Not as nice. Uh, and later in 1944, he made them flat out illegal like a dick. That's not good. Yeah. Abortion rights were later restored in 1955. How are they on birth control? Do they just not, like, not have any? So they had. I, mean, I guess they, they didn't back then. I mean, you'd have like lambskin condoms or whatever, I guess. Yeah, they, they eventually like had some, you know, had. I mean, they had, they did have condoms available. They had like other forms of birth control available, I believe. I don't know how widely it was used. Yeah. But it did exist. Stalin was also kind of a dick because he made divorce laws stricter, made them more difficult. So Stalin was sexist. Yeah, yeah, Stalin was. And and again, like Lenin said, there were a lot in the party that were still sexist. And the party was mostly male, um, especially in the leadership positions. Yeah. So it's not something that they, you know, while legally they did kind of do a whole lot in terms of advancing rights for women, it doesn't seem like that socially played out to its fullest extent. Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, it's a marked improvement on, I would say a lot of revolutionary things were, or not even just revolutionary, but like, I I feel like often women's rights gets reduced to a a special interest. Let's do that if we have the time. Exactly. Like, I mean, American Revolution is a classic example where like, 
I like it was a John Adams wife was like, mm-hmm. hey, uh, can you can you put us in there? And he was like, no, nah. don't forget the ladies. <laughs> yeah. He was like, no, we're busy. Yeah. And that, that is so often what happens. Like half the population gets shoved to the side for later, which is fucking insane. Yeah, for sure. But no, I think that they actually did make women's rights an integral part of what they were doing. You know, I mean, it makes sense if you're all for the worker, then like if you have more workers, i.e. women, then you're going to have a stronger workforce. Like, yeah. it's a good idea. And they, you know, did a lot of things for in specifically in regards to the workforce, like maternity leave. We mentioned Hell yeah. uh, more child care services. Can you imagine a year job security like the lady who was like, yeah, did, you know. I could go back like a year later and my job would still be there, but that's insane. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, what else do you want to talk about here? I want to get into healthcare. Healthcare. Yeah. Healthcare. Uh, so one of the big things that you get right in criticism of the Soviet union or socialism and everything. Oh, you want to socialize healthcare. What do people say about that? You know, you get death panels. People are like, you don't get to live. You're not healthy enough. That's what I assume they mean. You don't get to choose your own doctor. For some reason, people are really in love with their doctors. I mean, I get that because some, you know, I don't personally, but I mean, I could imagine someone being like, oh, this doctor really gets me or whatever. Yeah, they've been with you forever. I could get it. But I mean, I also live in a city where it's like, there's so many fucking doctors. It's fine. Yeah. I could get it if you were in a smaller town where it's like a pain in the ass. Yeah. People like to be able to choose their own doctors within the network provided by their (laughs) health insurance company. Not helpful. Which can change every year. Uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> let's talk healthcare in the Soviet Union, though. Uh, so, its precursor, Tsarist Russia, was horrible in terms of healthcare. Like, it just wasn't any. A yeah, according to contemporaries, a vast part of Russia has yet absolutely no provisions for medical aid. You were That's just very like bad. medieval style levels. Just, of you nothing. get a, a mule to kick out your tooth. Yeah, like you just didn't have. <laughs> Access to medical care at all? Nothing. Okay. But in the Soviet Union, healthcare was socialized, universal, guaranteed, and state-run. Hey, I like all those words. It was run by the state. If you're a doctor, you're employed by the state. Everybody got healthcare, no cost. Okay, so one thing that I think is good about that, I mean, a lot of things I think are good about that. Mm -hmm. One thing about, like, being state-run specifically, or the idea of, like, and same thing, like, when you're talking about lawyers just kind of popped in my head. Like when when you're working specifically for profit, doctors will often charge you for stupid shit. They'll be like, "Well, let's run this test," or like, "Well, I'm going to prescribe you this," and I'm just I'm trying to get the most money out of you, which is really yeah. shitty. Not mm-hmm. all doctors do this, obviously, but like, sure. and you can you can get one that you can like be a straight shooter with, but it is a thing. Same thing with lawyers; like, they will rack up legal fees because that's their job. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you wouldn't run into that problem in this situation. So you're, you're, you know, you're talking coming from the czarist times to 1960. Mm-hmm. By the 1960s, they had pulled up life expectancies to approximately that of the Western world and the United States. That's a very um, short amount of time to like turn that around, man. Yeah. They were building, you know, hospitals, clinics all over the place. Uh, by 1985, the Soviet Union had four times the number of doctors and hospital beds per head compared with the United States. Jesus. But here's the other side of the coin. Okay. <laughs> uh, there were still resource shortages, you know, shortcomings. Um, in the later days of the Soviet Union, uh, when they were kind of getting to their crisis point, by this point they were spending more and more money on defense systems to try to keep up with the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their defense industry was getting way more money, and their healthcare 
services were getting way less. That military industrial complex screws us again. Yeah, they you know, a survey in 1989, this is in really the bad times, you know, um, showed that 20% of hospitals didn't have piped hot water in wow. buildings. 3% didn't have even piped cold water. 7% didn't have a telephone in 1989 okay. that's pretty low 89 you know yeah that's pretty that's pretty bad that's very bad but again you know this is you know why were they doing this because they were you know fucking up they were putting too much money into their yeah. defense systems instead i mean we've all seen like the stats on and i say we've all <laughs> people in leftist spaces and stuff have all seen the stats on you know if we didn't if we if we cut our military budget in half we could buy a bajillion things for like healthcare and all this stuff and still have the largest military in the world. Yep. So that's kind of its kind of its downsides. I don't think it was mm-hmm. always that bad, but I wasn't able to get a lot in terms of stats outside of like the 80s. And I think that's because people wanted to kind of focus on how bad things were then and say, you know, but the stats that I could find for other times were, you know, generally positive. And I thought that the equity there was very impressive. You know, everybody gets this and how how big of an improvement it was from the old times. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I had heard similar things that like, yeah, their life expense expectancy went way up and like, that is very impressive. Yeah. Um, so, you know, any system can have some problems there. And especially when your country's falling apart, it seems it makes sense for your healthcare system to not be, <laughs> not be at its best. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Speaking of good myths, I heard their literacy, literacy rates. We're better. Their literacy rates were way better. Uh, czar, it, let's take a look at the czarist baseline. Okay. <laughs> uh, Russia under the czar. Uh, literacy rates were 37.9%. Not great. For males. Oh. <laughs> 12.5% for females. Cool. Okay. Comrade Lenin saw this as a problem, saying, without literacy, there can be no politics. There can be only rumors, gossip, and prejudice. Hey, man, that's a good point. So the the Bolsheviks set out to fix that. The communists poured resources into a literacy campaign called Likbez, I guess. Likbez. I don't know. Uh, it took, <laughs> it was like a long <laughs> time, and, and, they, and they kept pouring resources into this and putting out uh, propaganda posters all over the place. Hell yeah. You've talked about those, right? The Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I, I've, so I took a history of design class in college, and one section was Russian constructivism, and how they successfully used propaganda and design techniques to basically teach a whole nation how to read, because you could get the idea of an image from, you know, the image and kind of associate the words on there with that image. Yeah, I love those, those old propaganda posters. They're so cool. They are awesome. We have to have a whole episode devoted to we that will. someday. Um, but yeah, they use that. They set up like, you know, local organizations and things. Uh, they sent out people to tutor people one-on-one who, you know, when they found out you couldn't read, they'd be like, no, comrade, you got to be able to read. Come on. Like, Hell yeah. you're going to go to these these night classes or whatever to, to, to learn. And they would do those at like the village and commune level. This took a really long time. By 1926, you know, so they're, they've been in power for almost, for nine years, I guess, uh, these numbers, and this is, you know, just after the Civil War, mm-hmm. these numbers had improved to 66.5% for males, 37.2% for females. They doubled, more than doubled, and that's crazy. Mm-hmm. By 1939, you're looking at 90.8% to 72.5%. 
That's crazy, man. That's, that's a lot. And then by 1950, it's nearly 100% across the board. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, do we have nearly 100%? I feel like we yeah, don't. We, we, I mean, we kind of, in official I mean, I literacy, know. we do, I think. Okay, fine. <laughs> I just have such such low hopes for us in general. Oh, uh, yeah, 99%. So Okay, yeah. fine. We did it. <laughs> but I really like, I like the idea of how important literacy is to politics because you have to be able to read opinions and figure out, you know, what you agree with and things. Yeah. So if you want a truly worker-led state, then, like, you have to do that. Yes, yeah, you need to be informed. Yeah, I like it. What's, yeah, what's next on your list of? Let's, let me ask about my people, the queers. I hear that we're not, we, well, we're currently not doing well there, for sure. Oh, no, you were not yeah. doing well there at all. Putin? No, they recently passed some, like, really anti-trans shit. Complete asshole. Well, I'm gonna tell you, it wasn't good then either. I figured, but, you know, I thought I'd ask. Now, it does follow the initial part of the pattern, where, in the very earliest days, Things were pretty good. Okay. That radical zeal of the initial revolution. Had some gay revolution parties. Yeah. The Soviet Union decriminalized homosexuality in 1917. Nice. Way yeah. earlier than most people did. Yeah. Um, now, the way they did this is not like officially we're just, you know, they, they went out and said gay people should have rights and let's. So what they did was <laughs> they got rid of the old czar's code and they put in their own law code in place. Okay. And they just left out anything about homosexuality. In it. Okay. Therefore, decriminalizing it. It's not like they said you should you have know, rights. There wasn't gay marriage, yeah. obviously. It's just you could no longer be thrown in prison for sodomy or whatever. Yeah. Even in these early days in the Communist Party, like some people were more pro uh, gay rights and some people were, were not. Uh, but. Within the Communist Party, they even had an openly gay man um, serve as the People's Commissar for Foreign Affairs. Oh. Georgie Chicharin was his name. Georgie. Yeah. So, you know, that was, was like, whoa, okay. That's impressive. Yeah. But meanwhile, some people in the party, you know, subscribed to the view that homosexuality was like a social illness to be cured. Oh, cool, cool. There was a lot of variance in that. This all yeah. later gets stomped down. When Stalin makes homosexuality illegal again in cool. 1936. Stalin. Like a dick, you know? We can't be friends, Stalin. You suck. From his rule onward, homosexuality remained a punishable criminal offense in the Damn Soviet it. Union. Uh, the state kind of varied in how they presented that, how they were kind of showing their anti-LGBTQ kind of messaging. Sometimes they were like, it's a mental disorder. Uh, sometimes they, especially in the war years, they described it as a sign of fascism or bourgeois decadence. Okay, what? How is that fascist? No idea. They just, <laughs> they, just so, the they tried to associate the two, you know, oh, people hate yeah. fascists, people, you know, well. That's and so they also, weird. in a similar vein, conf started conflating it later with uh, pedophilia. Uh, people okay. do this today as well. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, th these things have all been done in the past and are still happening today. Yeah. I would say, especially in that era, though, that was super common for it to be relegated to like a mental disorder and for it to be, quote unquote, treated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was bad. It was bad across yeah. the board. It was bad basically from 1936 onward. It wasn't always great in those initial days, but at least they did have, they did try to. Yeah, they did something. Yeah. Way more than most people did. Yeah, especially then. That wasn't good. That's something that yeah. we would definitely have to 
And I think it would be easy. I think that most socialists, all good socialist movements anyway, are I'd say so. pro-LGBTQ rights. I don't know of any that aren't. Yeah, I'm sure there are, but I don't want to think about it. just take away their socialist title. They shouldn't be allowed to, yeah. All right, what about racism? I hear, I hear they didn't like Jewish people. Um, they did some uh, anti-Semitic things, especially under Stalin. That guy. Surprise. No redeeming quality so far. Some racism, of course, did exist in the population, for sure. Yeah. Uh, although it was, like, illegal to do. Wait, how? Well, if you, uh, like, made a racist statement or something, you could get hauled off to jail. Whoa. Um, there's a story of, I forget who it was, but um, it was an African-American, I believe, who had been visiting, who was visiting there, or... Maybe just a black person from another country. I'm not, I don't quite remember, but I read their account, which was like, they were on a bus and this uh, guy gets just drunkenly gets on the bus and says something about like the, uh, the dark devils that are in our country or something. And everybody Oof. else on the bus is like, what the fuck? This guy's like visiting our country. Who the fuck are you? And they like, they like citizens arrest him, you know, and <gasps> get the bus to stop and they drag him down to the police precinct a little ways down. <laughs> That's great. I wish I could do that with just racists I meet on the street. Well, yeah. And like by the time they got there, he had apparently sobered up enough to where he was like apologizing and say, and and they, they dragged like, they, they asked the, uh, the people who were visiting to come along with him. And, you know, they were, they were all like, we don't really, you know, we don't want to do this. And they're like, no, this is wrong in our country. We don't do this shit. And so they dragged the guy off, you know, and he's like apologizing saying like, Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Like I was drunk. I would never have said, I'm sorry. I really, oh. you know, I don't believe in this. I'm, I'm, and he was just like apologizing profusely. And the visitors were like, dude, like it's, it's fine. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to press charges on this guy or anything. And the jail and the police people were like, no, 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 we're going to keep him in here a day to teach him a lesson. But <laughs> can you imagine? Oh my gosh. That's wildly different. Like imagine you could just haul off racists to jail. <laughs> Which Poor jail life. shouldn't exist, but yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, um, in general, racism, racial harmony, you know, was 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 way better, I guess, in the Soviet Union compared to like the United States. Real, I'm kind of surprised by that. I th- I think just because it was official government policy, and you didn't really want to fuck with the government. <laughs> okay, so a little fear based. There are testimonies from people who visited that say that you know it was you know, way better there. Paul Robeson yeah. is one figure who, who visited. So. He was a very uh, famous singer. Okay. And just all around, his story is pretty impressive. He was like a all-American athlete in college and everything. He also was singing as well, like, like top-notch level stuff, mm-hmm. like professional. He did stage as well, like Broadway, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. He also did law school like he was doing all the shit damn you know? Super, okay yeah brilliant dude like Overachiever uh, columbia much. law school okay uh, played in the nfl um <laughs> that, this guy's not fair yeah he's super was he cool. also hot he i don't know um just google paul robeson paul robeson let's see i'm just saying you can't have it all it's not fair he was also pretty cute when yeah. he was younger i would think that yeah oh yeah there's this one pick he looks great in that Jesus, that's just unfair. And he was a communist. Damn, perfect man. Yeah. Anyway, he visited uh, the Soviet Union. He liked it. He liked it. He said, for the first time in my life, I walk in full human dignity. 
In Russia, I felt for the first time like a full human being. No color prejudice like in Mississippi. No color prejudice like in Washington. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of crazy, man. Yeah. Well, I do know from my sources of TV that, <laughs> you know, in Trumbo, the girl communist, the girl communist, his daughter was very into the civil rights movement. And yeah. in the Americans, um, they like would work with civil rights people. Um, they like often would recruit them. Yes. The direction from Moscow was to support that probably, <laughs> you know, for multiple reasons. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, it's good in the sense that it advances black people's rights. It's good in the sense that it is something that the American government didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you got there. It was also seen as a recruitment tool for uh, the Communist Party in the United States. Yeah. And for communist-aligned movements. If I were a black person in America at that time, yeah, and I knew there was a country that would just be, like, cool with me, that'd be crazy. And it's not disingenuous, I don't think, either, because the Communist Party in the United States was always dedicated to civil rights, to um, equality. It, it wasn't like they were just like, oh, let's come up with this thing. Like they had been doing that for a long time. And so when they're, when they're supporting the civil rights movement and everything, I think it's genuine. You yeah. Know, Moscow might be trying to help them and stuff for cynical reasons, but yeah, yeah. We've, we've all done shitty things, but no, that's, that's for sure. Genuine. Um, um, in the Soviet union, you mentioned also the anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah. So again, from TV, I know, so the pogroms were those before or after Soviet Union, whenever they ran Jewish people out. So the pogroms were during the czarist times. And they were terrible. Yeah. Thousands of people died. Uh, the czarist forces and other nationalist groups also carried out pogroms during the Russian Civil War. While on the other hand, the Bolsheviks were fighting hard against anti-Semitism in those early days. Mm-hmm. Especially during the Russian Civil War. Uh, while they were against Technically, they were against Judaism as a religion because they were against, you know, religion. Uh, they were definitely, however, against like racially discriminating against Jews, uh, really up until Stalin comes into power. Oh, that's not good. And Stalin, he was extremely anti-Semitic. He put out tons of anti-Semitic propaganda, uh. Uh, and he even used it to target his political rivals within the party. Damn. He also... Directed mass deportations of people, um, okay. of various like ethnic groups within the Soviet Union, just deporting them to different places that he wanted settled, you know? Okay. So like the Kulaks in Ukraine, a lot of them were deported out to, you know, Siberia and stuff. Yeah, I feel like Siberia is just the place you get sent to. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, does anyone go there by choice? Mm, probably not. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Tatars, the Cossacks, the Estonians. I thought Cossacks were the horse people. Yeah, they're the horse people. I know this from a song I used to play on piano. A lot of them had sided with the the White Army in mm, the Russian Civil War or with different like groups that were against the Red Army. Mm, okay, okay. So afterward, they got deported. <gasps> okay. Uh, that's that's kind of the pattern with a lot of the mass deportations, though. And Stalin's defenders will use that to be like, hey, he, you know, he was just kind of paying him back for whatever. But I don't think it's good to like deport entire no. populations of people for something bad, like that the fighting bad. force was doing. Yeah. So yeah. even though like this town might've collaborated with the Nazis or something like you probably shouldn't deport them all afterward, you know, yeah, it's kind of bad. bad. Okay. So that, 
I think all is is definitely racist and bad. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of the official policy of racism, I think it was important and yeah, they have like equal protection laws and stuff. Uh, yes. I don't think it's the same as ours because you're, sure, you don't have yeah. to legislate against like private entities. Um, like you said, racism mm. was just like illegal. Don't do that. <laughs> that's crazy. Like, how do you even enforce that? And like, that's crazy. In regards to their kind of anti-racism as a policy, I think that what's kind of cool is that they were able to use that as a weapon against the United States in the Cold War. <laughs> yeah. It is sort of kind of overlooked a lot of times. But have you ever used, heard the term, you know, what about ism? Yeah. So you're making an argument and someone's like, well, what about this? And like, they kind of change the subject and basically try to make it seem like because someone is doing something else bad, that means they're bad in general. Yeah. What about that one time you did this or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That comes actually from the Cold War when the Soviets would all the time do that. Anytime that, you know. <laughs> They were criticized for something by the West. They would just respond with, well, and you're, you know, in the United States, you're lynching black people. I mean, hey, it's, that's not a bad argument. It's not. Um, in fact, this got so under the Americans' skin um, and it made them feel, you know, like undermined on the international stage and everything. That it was one of the big reasons why you have uh, otherwise pretty conservative, you know, senators and congressmen and stuff saying we need to do something on the civil rights issue. Wow, so we shamed them? <laughs> yeah, because we're getting trolled by the Soviet Union about this, and we need to change it so that they can't talk bad about us anymore. Yeah. Wow, they got shamed into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever it fucking takes, but like, dang. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I think it's a big portion, and it doesn't get as much. People yeah. don't give it the weight it deserves in terms of moving people to do something in the civil rights movement. Yeah, for sure. Ugh, that's crazy. Yeah. All right. You touched on this earlier, but I, I had this on my question list too, which is religion. Did they have it? Did they have it? Yes. Uh, religion existed in the Soviet Union throughout its existence. They brought to bear, however, different levels of restrictions of their rights Okay. throughout their existence as well. Religion was always technically legal to some degree, at least practicing your religion privately was always legal. Okay. However, sometimes they were extremely repressive. Sometimes they were kind of openly permissive of them. And pretty much all throughout, with one exception, the Communist Party was doing as much as it could to put out a lot of uh, atheist or anti-religious propaganda. (laughs) Okay. It's basically like talking shit about religion. Okay. They have this one pretty famous one that's like a space. It's it's during the space race, so it's like really? a guy in a in a in cosmonaut gear floating over the Earth. That term is just so fucking cool. Like they they won the the cool name contest there. Oh yeah, cosmonaut's cosmonaut? way cooler. It's so cool. He's like floating over an Earth, and above it it says no God. <laughs> kind of like you know we went out to space and there ain't no God. He wasn't here. there. <laughs> And that's one of their more famous, you know, anti-religious propaganda pieces. Um, and it's funny because the guy's like, let me see if I can find it real quick. The guy's like smiling and he's like <laughs> almost like thumbs up sort of yeah. thing. Popping in that shit. <laughs> His face. His face is kind of creepy just, in this. Yeah. He's just like, no God. Just, <laughs> yeah. He looks so smug. He's like, God, I don't see him. I don't know where he went to. (laughs) 
Okay, interesting. So yeah, the way, where they're coming from, before the revolution, the Russian Orthodox Church was the main game in town. Yeah, they did some bad shit, right? Uh, they were heavily intertwined with the czarist government. So like, Yeah, that's not great. They had a lot of power. They were super wealthy. Um, they yeah. owned a ton of land. Yeah. They had, you know, official privileges, basically. That's not good. When the revolution comes into play, uh, they separate church and state. Cool. They took all property from religious organizations and they took basically all, they took all their power away in terms of being involved in the government anymore, you know? I mean, yeah, they shouldn't be in there. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah. Uh, people retained the freedom to practice religion or not. Okay. So long as it did not conflict with their citizens' duties, you know, you couldn't be what like, oh, mean? no, you know, that's against my religion. I'm, I'm not doing that. Okay. You know how people are like, oh, I'm not going to, if they get drafted or something like that. Oh, or, Okay. Or serve in the government at all because I don't like it. or hmm. Okay. Or give my kids vaccines. And they couldn't be like racist and say that was part of their religion. Right. Yeah. You can do any of that. Or not hire a woman or whatever. Yeah. Uh, throughout its history, this got better or worse at different times. Okay. Basically, the Soviet government sometimes uh, curtailed people's right to publicly discuss religion Oof. or to spread religious beliefs. Okay, that's not great. They took away, at some point, they took away the right to vote from monks and clergy. Also not great. Uh, I think they restore that later on. They, they, it's just for a while or something. But in general, the whole trend was like trying to make running religious organizations or practicing a religion a more difficult thing to do. Oh, that's not great. Come on. Yeah, making it more inconvenient and also outside of like just the legal codes, putting social pressure on people. There was this. Yeah, like culturally, it wasn't encouraged. Yeah. There was even this group that was like affiliated with the Communist Party, but not technically part of it, called like the League of Militant Atheists. Okay. And they would go around like heckling anybody who was religious and shit. And like, if they found out you were religious, they would like try to talk to you. And they were basically proselytizing, but for atheism. <laughs> for the you know? other side. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Can you imagine if we had that? That'd be so weird. They would be killed. They would absolutely be killed. So yeah, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of where they were coming from and what they did. Generally, the trend was to you know make things worse for for religion. There is an exception during World War Two. Okay. When, when they find the Lord, well, when Russia was getting invaded by the Nazis okay, and you know, the Nazis were like outside of Moscow, you know, Stalin turned to the Russian Orthodox church as kind of an ally to help kind of boost patriotism and stuff and get people riled up for, okay. to fight in the war and, and support the war effort and everything. It's a little shitty, but okay. So he kind of, he kind of let him back into the fold and it's like, Hey, I'll be nice to you again. <laughs> Come on. Can you do me a favor? Yes. Yeah. He's, he's just very shitty friend. Yeah, man, he is. He's a fair weather fuck. Yeah. Okay, that's that's interesting. I mean, so, I mean, some of their points I, like, totally agree with. Like, yeah, get him out of the state. Like, they, sorry. Like, <laughs> I think what, what bothers me a lot today is that I think people, certain people want religion to have it both ways in that they don't get taxed and are treated like a business, but also are exempt. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're treated like a business in that they can deny healthcare to people. They can do all this shit. But also they don't get taxed and like they can own land and all this shit. Like it's like you can't do both. Pick a lane. Yeah. A big thing lately is whenever they discovered who all had uh, taken advantage of the uh, of the stimulus mm. paycheck protection program. You know, the Catholic Church got like a more upwards of a billion dollars on that. Thing. I saw that. And it's like there's not that many priests, are there? <laughs> like, come on. What did you do with that? 
No, but uh, you know that, uh, and and it's not just them. Protestant churches got got uh, money too, individual ones and everything, and that's government money from an entity yeah. that doesn't pay taxes. Yeah, it makes no <laughs> sense. It's like which one? Yeah, you can't have it both ways. It's just not fair. Yeah, for sure. So if you were a Christian in in Russia at yeah. that time. You could do it in the privacy of your home. You could probably go to church. You might get harassed or something, which is shitty. Yeah, people might like talk to you after and be like, the fuck did you go to church for? What is your, are you some kind of idiot? You know? Oh, that's shitty. And who knows where your church is meeting? Like, so mm. when. So they took away lands. The church has got all their property taken or whatever. They can still, you know, go and do religious services somewhere, but they might not be in the old cathedrals or whatever they used to have because mm. those might've been taken. So, you, but you can, you can kind of practice that way. You can't like publicly wear stuff that is religious. That's shitty. That's like advertising religion or whatever. So don't do that. Okay. Um, Cause this is not just against the Orthodox church. This is against, you know, Judaism. This is against yeah, I was gonna uh, say. Islam as well. Damn. Okay. So not great. Uh, yeah, not great. Not a good take. And and it doesn't really let up. That's the, you know, some of these, they get way better under, diff, you know, or they it, the problem kind of goes away once Stalin leaves. Uh, this mm-hmm. is not one, not one of those. Jeez, okay. They generally just didn't like religion. That sucks. All right. Pobody's Norfolk. Um, next topic. Uh, democracy. Did they have it? Could they vote? Uh, let's see. So how do you picture or how have you been told about <laughs> Soviet democracy? What's that like? I didn't think you could have both. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you just can't do both at the same time. Yeah. I, th- I mean, it's, it's fed to us as a very totalitarian regime. Oh, but they had elections right now. What's your popular view of the election? Sometimes they'll be like, Oh, it's, you know, a Soviet style election. Oh, so. they, they're always rigged. They're rigged. Right. Or you show up to vote and there's there's just one person on the ballot or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Yeah. And you have like 90 something percent said that. Yay. Go yeah. that Which like recently. Yeah. Those are definitely rigged. But yeah. In the uh, th- they definitely did have democracy in the sense that people got to vote in elections. Isn't that what democracy is all about when you get to vote? I mean, it's part of it. Yeah. I don't know. This sounds like a trick question. Yeah, that is. It's it's Okay, um, tell me what it is then. Well, no, I just mean people treat in America, right? People say, Yeah, that is kind of the simplified view. What is your political power as a citizen? It's when you get to vote every four years. Uh, <laughs> like, God. That's that's the supreme thing you can do. So yeah, I wanna I wanna know, like, did they get to vote locally? Was it all I mean, I guess it would all be state run, but Well, yeah, so it's gets into their government workings a little bit, but I'll try to present it. <laughs> I'm going to try to present it a lot less uh, complicated than when I was figuring it out. Okay. Um, but basically here's how it works. So the communist party is in charge of like selecting the candidates that run for, okay. for government. Okay. Cause it's the only party in, in existence. Yeah, it's not a two party thing. So here's how that works at the local level. You, if you're a member of the Communist Party, you know, you vote for representatives to higher levels, to a regional level. And then there they elect people to like the national level, so on, right? The Congress of the Communist Party is that like highest level of that. Okay. Elected representatives of Communist Party members. And uh, these guys elect a smaller group called the Central Committee, which kind of governs things when the whole Congress isn't in charge. Okay. Which is most of the time, because the Congress had too many people, so it was just <laughs> like, let's just have the Central Committee do it. Okay. They do most of the work, and in turn, they select a little group called the Politburo. Okay. It's like a cabinet, kind of? Yeah, it's kind of like 15 or so people that are like the main political operatives. 
Okay. uh, So it's like Congress and Super Congress. Yeah. And also these guys select the leader leader, the general secretary. Okay. Okay. So you very, you know, we complain like, oh, you have to select electoral college and then they vote for the president. But like, this is like six levels of indirect in terms of, but you do theoretically, you know, get to choose within the communist party who eventually is going to be general secretary. Wait, wait, wait. But it's not like direct democracy. Like, you don't get to vote for the head guy. It sounds like the people below him get to vote for mm-hmm. him. Yeah. That's kind of shitty. Yeah, it's kind of shitty. Um, and that's just for party leadership. The general secretary and, and the, the central committee and all this stuff, that's not technically the legislative body. That's just like who governs the communist party. Okay. Okay. There's a separate thing for the government, and that's when you actually show up for elections. Okay. Okay. So when you show up to vote and there's one person on the list, you know, for whatever office you're voting for, that's who was picked by the Communist Party to to run in that election. And you just get the ballot, turn it in the box. You don't have to do anything. That's kind of shitty. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Basically, the way that you will have had to vote for to choose those people is by choosing the right people in your Communist Party organization thing. And then they would, you know get the right people for you. Well, how do you fucking know? You can't like hold them accountable. Well, you actually surprisingly can. Again, I am with you in that this is not a great system. No, I don't like it. But I was impressed by finding out that the Soviet people figured out a way to kind of make this sort of work for them as much as they could anyway. Well, they do. So at the local level, what you do is you'd get together with the people in your town and whatever, and you'd figure out what stuff was fucked up, you know, what you wanted to change. Within reason, obviously, you can't be like, no more KGB. Like, nobody would support <laughs> done. You just get hauled away. Yeah. But <laughs> That sounds like a way to go to Siberia. But this road, you know, has too much traffic. We need it widened or whatever, right? Local okay. problems. Put together a list of demands with you and your fellow people. And you, you go to whoever's the candidate for that election. And you say, you better do these demands. And they'll probably, like, promise you they're going to do it. Because here's the thing, when you show up to vote and you turn your ballot in and you say yes, right? Mm -hmm. Or more awkwardly, you show up and you write somebody else in or write like, fuck you or something on there and turn (laughs) that in. If you write something bad enough, they might haul you away. Yeah. But if you vote no, or if you, or if not enough people show up to vote, if it's below 50% of of, uh, voters in there, that guy gets rejected. That's kind of cool. Okay. So, um, and then the, the communist party would have to select somebody else to go in the list. That guy probably, probably will listen to you. (laughs) Yeah. So the candidates for office knew kind of that this system was in place and would try to meet these demands because if they didn't and they, you know, and people said, well, fine, we're fucking not voting for you. And they got below 50%, you know, they were out. Yeah. They lost that position of power. Uh, They may even get, you know, kicked out of the party if they lost by bad enough, you know, and that was bad for them. Okay. That's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's like the best way to run. I still things. don't. Yeah, it's still electoral college times like six. <laughs> yeah, so I was, but I was impressed that they they have some accountability at least on the local level. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Yeah. Okay. Let's say I'm I'm a Russian in this time, and I want to run for office. Let's pretend I'm male, so that's easier. But um, how would that work? You um need to be a member of the Communist Party. You need to get elected. You probably need to get voted up high enough like you know into your regional level representative thing or whatever how do you join the party do you just like is there an office yeah you just sign up you just okay. go sign up i mean is everyone part of the party no okay that's weird no so you didn't have to be but if you wanted to run for office or something you had to be okay pretty much you could also tech you could technically be an independent candidate 
Mm-hmm. But the Communist Party would only put you on the slate if, like, they thought you were good. So you could be an independent. <laughs> you could agree with them in every way. Yeah, but you're an independent. Yeah, you could do that. And people did that. Um, it's, there, there just wasn't really a, you know, not a real difference between them. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it's a good way to run things. But this is talking about their political democracy, right? That they didn't really have a whole lot of ways to p- influence things democratically in terms of. I mean, let's be real. We don't have a whole lot of ways either. <laughs> I think, no, but I do think we have a lot more than that. Yeah. But here's my caveat to this is that I think that they had way more democracy on the economic side of things. Okay. In terms of workers' input in how factories and how just general employment and stuff was run. They had worker-led workplaces. Yeah. Like, you know, especially in different eras, there's different ranges of this. Stalin was worse at it sometimes than than others, Um, but not all the time. Generally... You had more of a say as, you know, a a worker on the ground. You could give feedback to your managers. You could get your managers fired for being assholes, like, way more easily than you could in, you know, in America where our our economy is kind of autocratic, you know. It's it's a bunch of little fiefdoms. Yeah, yeah. There it wasn't. Uh, So this is something that Stalin actually did when he was kind of agitating the the factory committees and stuff and telling them, kind of riling them up against their bosses, like to kind of okay. clean house if there was anybody who was fucking up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, your bosses, especially the top level managers of the factory, may be enemies of the people. You should watch for the signs that the enemies are at work and denounce them fearlessly, no matter how powerful they may be, both in public and private communications. Dang. And talk about... Uh, you know, have there been accidents in which workers lost their lives caused allegedly by negligence? You know, this could be sabotage or whatever. But and he kind of phrases it in this like very paranoid way. Yeah. But what's interesting to me is that this would definitely call out managers who were running, you know, unsafe workplaces or abusing their employees in any way. You had a method of saying like hey, this, this, this fuckers and, you know, he's, he's yeah. screwing us over. That's awesome. So like how how were worker rights like? What were their work hours like? Did they have, I mean, I assume they had good pay and also things were cheap. So, um, they, you know, they wouldn't have good pay by yeah. like Western <laughs> standards, maybe, but, um, they generally would have enough to live comfortably given how many things were subsidized or mm-hmm. free, not luxuriously. I wouldn't say not yeah, maybe yeah. by our standards of comfort. Yeah. Work conditions varied from time to time, obviously in the hardships of World War II, for example, or any of the famine times, it was going to be horrible. But outside of that, you had you, you had kind of normal workplace conditions. From my understanding of it, it may, I just I might be wrong on that. But Yeah, cool. But yeah, in terms of democracy, I would say politically, not much. Not great. not great. Economically, I think a lot better. Yeah, man. I don't think it's without flaws. I don't think that they adequately like listened to. Uh, workers all the time. Like sometimes they were like, Hey, you know, come on, tell us about your bosses. But a lot of times they didn't. A lot of times they were just like, here's the quota, do it. Uh So that would be something we would need to change in a future socialist project would be more democracy in the political sphere and more responsive democracy in in the economic sphere too. Yeah. Okay. Um, so another myth is about gulags. So I know gulags are bad. That's not the myth. (laughs) Those are bad. <laughs> the myth is that, like, you could get sent to one for, like, anything, basically. Yeah, man. You pick your nose in public. <laughs> you say anything bad about anyone in the party, basically. You know, something very chill. Something very 
low stakes could get you sent there. Yeah, you could get sent there at any time, and you know, millions and billions of people were sent to. Uh, okay, well, millions of people were sent to the gulag. That's true. <laughs> okay, that part true. Somewhere between fifteen and eighteen million people Oof. were sent to uh, the gulag, which is actually an acronym, by the way. The gulag. Oh, is. what's it stand for? I mean, some stuff in Russian, probably. Uh, it's the Glavno Pravlenie Lageri. <laughs> okay. It's completely wrong, Russian listeners. Sorry. The G from Glavno, the U from Upravlenie, and then the L-A-G from the beginning of the last word there. Okay, so what does that translate to? The main directorate of camps. Okay, not great. No, not a great name. The numbers that we have are from 1930 to 1953, although um, the gulags were actually set up a little bit before that. We don't really have numbers for that. There aren't any reliable numbers before then. So people, when they're doing their estimates, they just focus on those years. Yeah. After Stalin's death in 1953, there's a big amnesty where many of the prisoners of the gulag are released. And then they gradually phase it out by 1960. Although the Soviets still kind of keep forced labor things going on after that. But yeah, you are looking at millions of people over a 23-year period. Not good. It's pretty bad stuff. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this is something we should do. <laughs> yeah, we're anti-incarceration. It's, a, it's almost as bad as America's peak incarceration rate at 2008, <laughs> which was one out of 100 adults behind bars. This is wow. almost as bad as that. Wow. So, okay. Again, both are bad. Both are bad. Prisons are bad. We should abolish them. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the parts of the myth, right, is anything could get you sent there. Mm-hmm. speaking out against the party or whatever. So a lot of people were sent for political crimes. Yeah. Speaking out, criticizing, you know, not just like criticizing and saying communism fucking sucks or socialism, or whatever. Sure, that would get you sent because come on, man. <laughs> come but on. also just criticizing like a particular policy that a person's doing. Like if you Ooh. said, you know, I don't think Stalin's plan is really doing communism right. <laughs> okay, that's not great. People would be like, would you say throw you in jail, you know? Okay, that's not good. Now, this is not to say that 15 million to 18 million people were jailed for political crimes. Okay. Most everybody sent to the gulag was sent for normal criminal offenses. Okay. Murdering somebody or setting a fire or property, you know, theft of, of property or embezzling or normal shit, you know? Yeah. That's what the overwhelming majority of prisoners in gulags were there okay for. i mean those are still very bad and like the conditions there were super fucking bad like lots of people starved and froze and shit right um there were a lot of deaths in the gulags but not most of them coincided with the bad times okay so it's kind of a myth that like if you got sent to the gulag it was a death sentence okay usually not i mean still bad but not as bad as i thought (laughs) yeah um there are two major spikes in the death rates one is in 1933 when we talked about the famine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh i mean that killed millions of people in the soviet union altogether so of course they lost a lot of people the death rate spiked to 15.3 percent that year okay uh the other is in 1942 and 1943 during the nazi invasion which killed millions of people okay so like it generally trended with the rest of the country yeah i guess so um because the death rates there that was 24.9 and 22.4 percent so very high but again a big chunk of their country had just been occupied by the nazis it's bad you should still be you shouldn't have a prison in the first place and if you do you should be caring for your prisoners but give some context as to why that happened yeah 
Um, but besides that, death rates hovered around 4% or less. Okay. Okay. So if it wasn't crazy times, wasn't as bad. Yeah. Still a prison, still bad. <laughs> we just, we're going to keep saying that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. For real. This is still too many people regardless. These people shouldn't have died. And again, yeah, all prisons should be abolished. So <laughs> in that it is a prison system, it was bad. It seems like it is, you know, worse, I guess, than a regular prison system. Uh, you know, labor camps tend to be pretty bad although yeah. we basically run you know labor camps out of prisons as well yep guys we still have slavery yes it's legal in the u.s constitution because of the 13th amendment exception for uh people convicted of crimes. it's real nasty but yeah that's the gulag uh it changes kind of throughout history like we said obviously it follows the same overall pattern stalin super strict khrushchev less so yeah brezhnev more strict gorbachev just let everybody out it's fine <laughs> it's cool and so, yeah, that's that's kind of where you get with the gulags. Similar similar vein, though, is, is about purges. Just the idea that, like, people will get killed for disagreeing with the party, not just sent to gulags. Ooh, yeah. Like, the myth kind of goes, you know. Like, you could get your apartment raided or whatever. Yeah, they just bust up in there and, and haul you off and shoot you. Uh, now, people did get raided and imprisoned. But typically, you didn't shoot people out of hand unless it was the weird periods of the civil war when a lot of people were summarily executed a lot of people got shot out of hand uh when it was uh world war ii in terms of like nazi pow's they really didn't fight in ways that followed the rules of war pretty much on the eastern front okay both sides were more or less massacring each other okay that's bad the other time period would be like during stalin's rule in a specific time period called the great purge Okay, I, I have a feeling I'm not going to like this time period very much. Yeah, 1937 and 1938. Okay. Stalin, he's super paranoid. And he thinks everybody's out to get him. And he thinks everybody in the party, you know, who slightly disagrees with him or who he sees as a rival for his power is somebody that he should take out. Were people out to get him? Uh, No, more than like a normal... <laughs> Soviet leader would be, yeah. Pretty average. Definitely not to the extent that he thought. Like, there was something called the doctor's plot, which is very anti-Semitic because he was basically accusing all these uh, Jewish doctors in Moscow of being in on this, you know, seeker cabal bullshit Shit. stuff to, like, kill people and things. Okay, yeah. Very, you know, old tropes, very, basically. So classic anti-Semitism. This is interesting, and it kind of backfires on him because uh, his own doctor he had purged in this in that particular thing uh, because he had recommended him bed rest or whatever and he was like no you must be in on this doctor's plot and he his doctor was like actually like in his basement being tortured or something like that oh my god when uh when stalin like died from a stroke Jeez. you know everybody comes to like help him or whatever and they're like we got to get his doctor as well as doctors and they can we can't get him we got to find <laughs> okay, somebody another else one. Uh, oh, man. But no, he was terrible. The, back to the Great Purge, historians kind of disagree on the numbers specifically. Anywhere from 680,000 people. Still a lot. To a little over a million. That's also a lot. Yeah. That's in a pretty short window of time, too. Yeah, like a year. Yeah. There's other examples of kind of purges. Uh, like we said, the doctor's plot. Stalin kind of just goes off on these tangents every once in a while and starts. <laughs> okay. Often, folks. Damn, Stalin. Uh, but the one people focus on is the Great Purge because it had so many people getting executed. After that, while still kind of lacking political freedoms, like we say, uh, the Soviet Union seems to have reverted to just executing people for serious crimes through their judicial system. Okay. Like normal, but still 
terrible. Still bad. Yeah, did they have the death penalty? They did. Ugh. They had a brief window of time at the very beginning of the revolution where they did it. It was like months. You should have stuck with that. And then they were they were in the Civil War and they're like, no, 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 yeah. we want to execute our enemies. So, <laughs> Actually, I love executing. And then oh, a strange period of time with Stalin actually outlawing it, but he brought it right back like a few years later or something. Okay, he was drunk or something. <laughs> I don't know what his <laughs> thing was there. Uh, but again, I think we're both of the opinion that nobody should be executed at all. Nope. Another thing is, though, that this is just everyone focuses on Stalin's purges because it's uniquely like bad. Yeah. It's obvious killing a ton of people all at once. Mm-hmm. But the oppression did not really uh, end with Stalin. And this was kind of something that I had heard of and hadn't really didn't know too much about. So kind of some new learning for me. The Soviet Union also developed the use of psychiatry to target political dissidents. Oh, no. So what they did there was um, people who were speaking out against the government, um, criticizing government policies or whatever, loudly enough and badly enough that the authorities took offense. What they figured out they could do is diagnose them with what they called and what no other countries besides the Soviet Union and Eastern Bloc countries acknowledged. A diagnosis called sluggish schizophrenia. Okay. Which was a unique diagnosis that basically doesn't really show physical symptoms or really definable symptoms. But the symptoms include reform delusions, struggle for the truth, (sighs) religious convictions, you know, any of these and more. Like just in general, if you've been reported for being like kind of antisocial in in the sense of like against their project. So this is like back in the day when people would diagnose like women- with hysteria when they were just horny. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so what they could do then is institutionalize you. Oh my God. So they put them up in psychiatric wards called psychushkas. Psychushkas. That's a fun word. Yeah. Well, you, they weren't that fun. Usually Not they were. Not a fun concept. Usually they were directly run by the KGB. And it was just like, you know, a prison, but a psych but, ward. Oh my gosh. Would they like medicate them at all? Or it was just basically a prison? It's hard to find out. Um, yeah. Basically, it's also unclear how many people this happened to because they're psychiatric records. So it's hard to like uncover them slash to look at them because they're classified, I guess. They're like medical. Yeah. Um, one, the one figure that I was able to find was that in 1989, the Soviet Union was like trying to get its psychiatrists to be readmitted to the World Psychiatric Association. Oh, gosh. Because they'd been like expelled, I guess, for all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I think I'd expel them too. Well, they were, you know, this was during Gorbachev's time when they had reopening and everything. Yeah. And so they were trying to get back in. And as a condition for that, the Soviet Union had to remove somewhere between 1 million and 2 million people from their psychiatric registries, like their list of people who were diagnosed for things. Wow. And I would presume that the reason that they were demanding, you know, a portion of their psychiatric population to be removed from that list is because they didn't recognize that diagnosis as real, yeah. which would be this, you know. Oh, man. And that's at that time, you know, in 1989, they probably had somewhere between 1 million and 2 million people in there for that. Oh, my gosh. That's that's just horrible. Yeah. Not good. No, very bad. Okay. I, I think that in some ways it's blown out of proportion in Western kind of propaganda of that. If you did anything, they would shoot you on the spot or something, or they mm-hmm. would come kidnap you or something like that. But there were a lot of political restrictions. You could not just freely spout whatever beliefs you wanted out that in the sucks. street. Yeah. Let's switch to a lighter topic. <laughs> All right. Do it. Yeah. I saw in a movie that one with Robin Williams. <laughs> okay. Moscow and the Hudson or whatever. You couldn't have sex if you weren't married? Is this true? Complete myth. Good. I'm pro-sex. The uh, young people were banging all the time, man. All right. 
Lots of fucking. Um, but no, it's a myth. <laughs> uh, there was never a law that criminalized this in the Soviet Union at all. Oh, okay. Especially in the early days, right after the revolution, they were very sexually liberated. There were some people like advocating like free love and all this. Oh, damn. Of course, when Papa Stalin Papa comes to power. Stalin. I was literally about to use the same term. That's great. <laughs> it's a little fuddy-duddy. You know, it gets more conservative, but extramarital sex was still even, you know, never punishable then. That's good. It was discouraged. Like socially? Uh, yeah. So like the Young Communist League, the Komsomol, would actively shun people who like broke the norm. Damn. They'd be like, oh, you know, you harlot or whatever. Why? I don't get it. If they're being... Well, I guess it was under Stalin, but I'm saying before that, if they're pro-women... If they, like, the abortion is legal, mm-hmm. if they're anti-religion, too, like, usually a lot of that stuff gets tied into sex. I don't know. Yeah. Well, but they were, a large portion of society, anyway, was still traditionalist, you know, mm. and still had grown up under Tsarist times and stuff and still kind of yeah. had a lot of that patriarchal nonsense built into them. Whereas a lot of the party was more open, uh, you know, again, until Stalin comes in and then they change <laughs> yeah. tune. But later on, they kind of have a sexual revolution of their own, kind of more open. And so, yeah, it's generally, that's a, that's a myth that was a lot more, you know, open than, than that. Okay. People did it. People will find a way. Here's the thing. Even you can preach absence all you want. People yeah, are going to These guys fuck. can't even get like a, you know, steady supply of food at the grocery store. They're not going to have the resources to track down everybody fucking in the bushes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That seems like a waste of fucking time. All right. <laughs> yeah. Also that. <laughs> all right. Um, I guess on a kind of similar note. Access to, I guess, Western materials. I, I feel like that was told that it was very limited. Like you couldn't listen to, you know, the Beatles or whatever. You know, you couldn't listen to like Western music or movies. Like, is that true? Yeah, that's true. Dang. Yeah, media was always censored in the Soviet Union. You know, if you knew, like if you were in with party officials and they had connections like customs wise or something, they mm-hmm. could get you hooked up, you know, <laughs> illegally. I got a copy of whatever. But it was, yeah, but it was very controlled, very censored. Why would they do this? Uh, Because they felt that they were defending against anti-communist propaganda. Like that stuff was too Western and therefore too capitalist? Yeah, in general. Like Stalin was really an asshole about um, censorship in terms of music and stuff, which doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to make as much sense because... Who cares? It's, it's not music. like I'm singing about like, I love my boss. I love working. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, he saw it as kind of bourgeois decadence or whatever and wanted to get rid of that. Ugh. Whereas, you know, later on, things were liberated a little bit more, but still access to Western music was really restricted. And the music field was pretty interesting. I sent you that article on the. That was so fucking cool. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. So to bootleg <laughs> records and stuff in the Soviet Union, they would use uh x-rays like x-ray film like that kind of plasticky stuff you know Mm -hmm. they'd cut a record piece basically from it and cut grooves into it and it was so cool you saw the pictures on that right dude that was metal as hell that was so cool they had literally they're literally x-rays that they took from like garbage (laughs) cans from medical like clinics like outside a hospital or something so they had like ribs and hands you know x-ray uh pictures of things on there (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome like that is they call them bone records that's metal as fuck yeah, it's so cool they were only good they were kind of temporary you know they're only good for a little a few plays and stuff oh they, they would get degrade. like worn down yeah okay. uh but it was a way to kind of get around this and get your you know get your fix of cool Damn. western music but this is not just music movies books these things were all censored that sucks 
books, especially in Stalin's time, were sometimes revised and things were inserted or deleted and without asking them, they just change it. That's shitty. Similar to in the United States when you had like the Hollywood like code or whatever of mm-hmm. things you could or could not have in movies. Mm-hmm. There was also a code in America for comics. That was a thing. Like, oh, like yeah. superhero comics and stuff had a very strict like morality code. Yeah. So yes, this was you know a punishable crime. They probably wouldn't shoot you for it or something. But what about gulag? You know, you might get yeah, you might get sent to the gulag or to that's the still bad or to the regular prison. You know, but yes, that's not good. Future socialist <laughs> project. Let people have everything they want. Yeah, music, please. Okay. Uh, next question. I think this is actually my last question. So the party. Yeah. I heard it's super corrupt. We kind of talked about this with voting and stuff too, but like. Like in general, like if you were on top, you could get whatever you want. Like you said, if you had someone real connected, they could hook you up with a cool record or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. they could get caviar and imported stuff. I guess they had caviar because they're like by the ocean. But still, they could get cool shit. So your question is, were they corrupt basically? or Were they corrupt? Were they still like basically rich guys at the top? Not necessarily rich, but they definitely had privileges, you know? Uh, so not everybody was corrupt. Okay. I mean, that's good. There was corruption though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There was definitely corruption. Some people were definitely corrupt, and there's obviously different degrees to which they were corrupt. You have kind of a social class of people called the nomenclature. Okay. The high-ranking uh, Soviet officials uh, who kind of had uh, perks. They really didn't make too much money in comparison to regular people. And there was actually like a law, uh, like a maximum wage law for a time. That's cool. Yeah, that like salaried members of the Communist Party couldn't make more than a highly qualified industrial worker. Can I imagine having a maximum wage law for anybody? <laughs> crazy. <laughs> that would be great. We should do that. Yeah, I'd love it. But they, they eventually got, I don't know why they got rid of that. It was during Stalin's time, so I can just blame uh, it on him. Yeah, man, that guy. Real fuck up. He's a dick. Yeah. So corruption, though, did exist through perks that you would get as a high-ranking member of the of the Communist Party. For example, access to like special medical facilities, mm. which is bullshit. They shouldn't have done that. That is bullshit. Access to special stores that sold imported uh, goods or like they kind of got the first of the supply chain of regular shit. Yeah, that's what I heard. They also, they got cars with chauffeurs. Most cars were state owned in Russia. Um, mm-hmm. You would get them for, you know, like company business or whatever, but you usually just didn't have like your own car. Most people Yeah, yeah. Uh, you took public transportation. How's their public transportation? Pretty good, I, I bet. Yeah, I mean. I mean, in the cities. <laughs> right, yeah. You also kind of, the elite had a inside track on like admission to the universities that tended to produce, you know, the higher ranking government officials and diplomats and shit. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, that's also bullshit. Like that should yeah be the case it's it's bullshit when we do it when rich people have definitely you know, access yeah. to the best colleges and you know they can just cheat their way in even if they can't buy their way in and it's bullshit when they do it i think i have kind of a tangential question yeah so i feel like i've heard about russian oligarchs a lot and i know like that's a thing right now yeah so did they come from high-ranking party people and then just like kind of keep going did they also originate in czarist times and then keep going from there? Like, what's up with oligarchs? Uh, so, no, I don't think that the oligarchs from the czarist times, like the nobles. They didn't make it, right? We killed They those. got fucked up, yeah. <laughs> okay. I love how I say we now. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't make it. Yeah, we took care of them. Um, <laughs> I don't know uh, that much about the connections between today's Russian oligarchs and Soviet times. So I don't know if anyone made that transition over from a government 
position. I'm sure it did happen at some point. Mm-hmm. But there's that interesting time period where Gorbachev is in power that you have a lot of moves toward economic opening and and liberalization of markets and stuff. Yeah. And it kind of falls apart before he gets to put it fully in play. But I imagine that in that transition, you would have had people scrambling to take into their possession, into their private possession, you know, different government things. Yeah. Probably would have been the people in power at the time that would have had the best opportunity to do so. You know, I don't really know for sure. Okay. It makes sense, though. But yeah, they did have these privileges and stuff. In terms of money, they tended to live, you know, way closer to the living standards of regular Soviets compared to like you know, American senators compared to Americans, for sure. They weren't that unequal compared to us. But I would say that corruption would be an issue. This was one of Trotsky's main complaints about the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Called it a degenerated worker state or something like that, like a deformed worker state or something. Okay. Uh, Basically saying that like this bureaucracy got itself into place, you know, shortly after the Civil War and like bloomed up into this new quasi-class he called it a caste actually of people who were you know above the working people who the country was supposed to be run by you know and these people were like taking advantage of that yeah i feel like that's that's kind of the myth i'd heard that like it was a very bureaucratic institution that was just full of wheeling and dealing i think there's a degree of it um i don't think that it's all that there was i don't know honestly if it was you know, a big enough contributing factor to have led to the Soviet Union's failure or anything. But I think, you know, it did exist. And to that extent, it was bad. I mean, it's a fair question, though. Like, if you if you think about a state run party or state run government, then like, there are going to be cases where it would be really easy to say, okay, well, my region gets a little more because I'm from there. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, just shit like that. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I think it's something to consider about for our, our future utopia. So like, how could we combat that sort of? Yeah, I guess. Okay, my question, and we've talked about this with unions, too, is once you have a large enough apparatus, whether that's a union or a government, there does start to be like, there's a certain point where you stop being a worker and you start being a bureaucrat. And like, is there a way to make peace with that? Is there a way to combat that by like, okay, you got to swap out every so often? Or, you know, like, is there a way to make sure that they still, this is not the right term, but they don't get too highfalutin and they just forget who they're actually working for. What was it? Marx used highfalutin. That's a good term. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I mean, rotating out has its advantages in that you can probably prevent that from taking real root. Um, Mm -hmm. It has its disadvantages in that you lose kind of long-term expertise with things. You lose knowledge, yeah. But maybe with technology being what it is, you could kind of mitigate that somewhat and kind of record more training or institutional knowledge or whatever. Yeah. Ways. Or maybe you can stay on and like help mentor or something. Like there's a transition period where like you both kind of work on it. I don't know. I'm spitballing. That would be good. I think another thing that would be good is just not severe punishment, but just immediately losing your position mm-hmm. as soon as it's revealed that you are doing a thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, you have to have strong institutions in place to make sure that happens. You know, you'd have to have like a, a citizen-led journalism or investigative yeah. reporting or something like that, something that cannot be easily corrupted by whoever it is is in charge. You know, if, if yeah. you're running a government investigation of them, they might slip them some exactly kickbacks or something and, and be protected. So I don't yeah. know. Interesting. Okay. Well, I got all my questions answered, dude. Good job. Heck yeah. There's so many more things about that we could get into, but for sure. If you have questions about 
So you want to send in or anything, you can email us at yeah. teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Yeah, we would be happy to do a follow-up episode of compiling more myths and tackling those. Or, you know, we can just throw them into any old episode. That'd be fun, too. Yeah, for sure. Other places to find us on the internet include Twitter. That is at Teach Communism. Instagram is at Teach Me Communism. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Fun fact, our last latest review. Our latest review is just a dick. <laughs> oh, the eight equals equals D? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. five stars, though. So at least it wasn't hey, a bad dick. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to cover that one up with a new review, feel free. But it does kind of make me laugh. Hey, we did talk about street art, you know, and so. Maybe that's why. <laughs> in our commune, you know, you can't. Uh, our commune, at least, would not cover up dick graffiti. Maybe so. that's why. They're they're part of the dick commune. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, leave us a review on that rate and, rate and review. Uh, we're also on YouTube now. So if that's your preferred medium to listen to podcasts, you can do that. Just search Teach Me Communism on there. Hey, what are we doing next time? What do you want to learn about next week? Next time. Well, let's, let's turn these tables. Yeah, we've been picking on our own side sort of here. Vaguely speaking, not on Stalin's side, but. <laughs> that guy sucks. That's what I learned from this. If anyone gave me any redeeming qualities on Stalin, actually, I don't care. I'm not going to redeem. <laughs> I don't want to. Um, but we're going to stop picking on communists this time. Yes. Let's pick on our, our actual enemy, which is capitalism. Let's break down some myths. For real. There's a lot of stuff out there purporting this is the best thing ever. Anybody who's lived in it can feel that that's not exactly right. <laughs> so we'll talk about factually why that's definitely not right. Yeah. The, everything from bootstraps to, you know, this is the most efficient system. Ugh. As we're flying jets through the air to use up fuel. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like a bad joke. Yeah, it, it does. But yeah, that sounds fun. All right. Well, thank you teaching me communism thanks as always for being a great student yeah no problem i mean i got to lay in my bed today so not a bad way to go to school yeah for real listeners you guys can catch us next week on another episode of teach me communism where the class struggle is always in session bye bye bye